Well, good morning, everyone, from every campus and for all of you who are online. We're so grateful that you're here. Every single day, every single one of us are protected because of police officers and firefighters who literally put themselves on the line for you and me. This last week, we had four police officers who were shot, one killed, two in the hospital that are out. I don't actually know the condition of the fourth officer, but they were ambushed with the purpose of killing them. And that is happening all over our country. And not just police officers, but firefighters being called to the scene for the purpose of killing them when they arrive. And if there's ever a time that we stand up and support these men and women of both police officers and firefighters, it's now. This is a hard, hard time in their lives. We have police officers in the city of Houston, in our region of where we are. We have police officers and firefighters who are in our church. And I'm asking for us to pray for them and to be supportive of them, especially during this time. Now, in our church every Sunday, on all of our campuses, we have officers who are present uh, on our campus to protect us and to take care of us and to help. And right now on the Sugarland campus, Missouri City and Richmond Rosenberg campus, there are officers and they are in the worship center and I'm gonna ask them to stand and I'm gonna ask us to say thank you for taking care of us today and every week. So while you're standing, go ahead and stay standing. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you today. We want to live in a nation of peace and justice and kindness. We ask you, Father, to help us. Father, we ask that you be with our police officers, our firefighters, that you would protect them, you would watch over them. And those police officers and firefighters in our area, especially, and even more especially those who are part of our church, and these men and women who are helping us on our campuses, God, I pray that you would be with them and protect them. And Father, I pray that you would bring peace to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Social media has become a huge part of our lives. 
It has actually rocked the world. Even if you are not on social media, it's become a big part of every one of our lives. It affects literally every one of us. And it affects for good in many ways. Through social media, you're actually able to contact people as far back in your life as you can and want to and, and, and reconnect with individuals that were part of your childhood and, and your young adult life or wherever you are in your life way back and you are able to talk and keep up with them and know what's happening in their life. It's pretty amazing. You're able to stay in contact with family and extended family and share what's going on in your life and keep up with what's going on in their life. You're able to build new friendships, literally friendships on the other side of the world that you would have never known and actually sort of build a sense of community with individuals that you would have never touched base with before. It's actually an amazing, amazing tool. And the information flow is incredible. But not everything is good about social media, and I think we know that. There, there are some downsides of it, and one of the downsides, and the one I wanna to talk to you about today, is the issue of envy. Of envy. And the reason is because, as we're on social media, we get to see all of the special moments in vacations and sort of exaggerations and our family who never does anything wrong and, and the great places that we live and on and on and on, all of our material possessions. And what happens is the building up of the issue of envy. And I, there was a whole story, I'm not gonna read all of this to you, but just snippets of this. Study after study shows that the downside of social media is that it contributes to symptoms of comparison, envy, and depression. We compare our real life to others' perfect moments, and it eventually has a devastating psychological effect. It almost always tells us that something is wrong with us and our life and our income, and the result is envy. Psychologists have now labeled this as SME, or social media envy. When you get letters, you know it's serious. There's letters everywhere. SME, social media envy. Envy is actually the idea of focusing on someone else's blessings and ignoring our own. And I want to talk to you about this issue today of envy. We're going through... 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in a series that is entitled The Love Challenge. And this chapter is called The Love Chapter. Now, the truth is I could just preach one message on this, you know, go through it and get over with it and on to something else. But if I would have done it, we would have missed most of what God actually wanted to teach us about agape love and how it is we are live it out, to live it out in our life. So instead, we're walking through this chapter really phrase, not all the chapter, but most of it phrase by phrase. And every Sunday we are being re-challenged with a new aspect of what agape love actually is and how we can live it out in our life. And this, this morning we have arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four, and listen to what it says. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. We've already looked at the first two. Now this morning, I want to talk about the issue of envy. And I'm praying, asking the Holy Spirit to touch our life, to dig deep into our heart and 
sort of bring to the surface today and this week the issue of envy and help us to get on the other side of it. It's the challenge of this week. And why is it? Because the truth is envy always damages us. It always does. In 1994, Tanya Harding was known as the greatest figure skater in the world. I mean, she had been celebrated with so many awards. She was known by people all over the world. She was having an unbelievable, amazing career. And there was one last thing she wanted to win. The 1994 Olympics, she wanted that gold medal. And it was hers, except that a new skater had emerged and she had really taken off. Nancy Kerrigan, and she, she was so graceful. She was, could do such amazing things. And now articles are being written. You know, it, maybe it's not Tanya Hardy. Maybe Nancy Kerrigan is going to win the gold at the Olympics. And it, there was so much said in this, this person just emerging. And all the while, it was building up that sense of envy in Harding's life, apparently, because what then happened is that her bodyguard slash the man who became her, her husband hired a hitman. Not to kill her, but to hit her. With a baton coming up out of nowhere, stalking her and then hitting her, hitting her on her ankle. Didn't break any bones, but it messed up her ankle and now she had to withdraw from the Olympics and Tanya Harding won the gold at the Olympics. And in the midst of all of her celebrating and all of that, it came out. It always comes out. Sooner or later, that's what the Bible says, know that your sin will find you out. It always comes out. And the end result is Tanya Harding's career was destroyed and her character maligned, and she earned it. How many of you know the name Tanya Harding? Would you raise your hand? You know see? Those of you at Missouri City, Richmond Rosenberg, I can see your hands. And online, yes. All of us know. All of us know. And why? It's been now almost 30 years, and we all know the story. And it all came because of envy. Envy always damages us. Envy steals away personal peace and happiness. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Do you see what he's doing? He's comparing envy with peace or contrasting envy with peace. You can't have peace if you have envy. And if you have peace, you won't have envy. He's contrasting these two. It steals away our peace and happiness. And we could assume that last phrase, but envy rots the bones, is figurative. And, and until a few decades ago when we discovered emotionally induced illnesses, what, what happens is that when we allow an a emotion like anger and bitterness and fear and worry and envy, to so become a part of our life. What it is actually doing over time is that it is destroying our immune system. Who would have known? Opening up our life to all kinds of diseases we wouldn't have had otherwise, and even cancer. 
And it is happening because of these emotions, this envy in our hearts. It damages. Second of all, envy causes us to make poor decisions. Ecclesiastes 4.4. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. Now think about this. Solomon wrote this 3,000 years ago. And he's described 2020. What is this? 22. He's described us today. Nothing's changed about the human heart. And he's not saying that the only reason a person becomes a workaholic is because they want what some neighbor has. Not saying that it's always the cause of it. He's saying that it is a major reason. Look around, see what somebody else has. Well, I got to have that. And so I got to go get more jobs. I got to put in more hours because I got to have what somebody else has. And we make such poor decisions. We get ourselves in such debt as a result of it. I would not be the man I am in the good parts of me. And I would not have had the blessings of God in my ministry that I've had without Kathy Hartman being my wife. She is such an encourager. She's so loyal. She, she is, has such wisdom she knows the Bible as well as any human being that I know. Studies all the time, striving to live out his word. I don't know how well you know her, but this is how my wife lives her life. But one of the, the aspects about her life that I have so deeply appreciated is that in my ministry and our, over the course of our, our, my, this ministry, we've been in churches and we, we've known all kinds of people and, and we've known very wealthy people and people that didn't have a lot of money, but we've known all kinds of people and spent time with them. And, and we've been in grand, amazing houses and, and possessions and all kinds of stuff. And we double dated before with other people and gone out and seen movies and all kinds of things. And in the course of all of this, some very wealthy people, and not one time has she ever said to me, you know, I, I wish I could have that. Never. Every time she has said, I'm so grateful for what I have. I can't believe how God has so taken care of us and blessed us, and that is how she has lived her life and so what it means is that there she's never given any pressure to go keep up as the phrase go with the jones excuse me all of those of you who are jones to keep up with the jones and to do what somebody else I mean, we've never even had the pressure to we've we've lived within our means and a whole lot has been because of the character of my wife he says so many poor decisions that we make in our lives are be, is because of envy, trying to keep up with somebody else. Third, envy destroys relationships. And the Apostle Paul is sort of explaining this whole thing about his life, who he was before and then after he came to know Christ as Savior. And he's saying, before I came to know the Lord, and he's explaining it in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. Life before Jesus. But that 
that isn't the way we're to live and it shouldn't be who, how it describes us who know Jesus as Savior. People say, I should have gotten the promotion, not that person. Why is he so successful more than me? Why did she get that opportunity and I didn't? James chapter three, verse 16 says, for where you find envy, you will find every evil practice. It's, it's the foundation of so many things uh, of, of, of gossip and stealing and adultery and murder and so many things. When you trace back those issues, it oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes you wind up right there at envy. Do you remember the story in uh, the Jewish Bible that we as Christians call the Old Testament and the story of Joseph? He was the boy with the robe of many colors, you know, as we were in Sunday school learning and, and his brothers envied him, hated him. They envied him. They wanted the attention that Joseph was getting that they weren't, that they weren't getting. They envied him and they, they kidnapped him and they intended to kill him. But just before they did, they decided, no, we won't kill him. We will sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then we will live a lie before our father, not our heavenly father, but for their dad. We'll live a lie, tell lies and live a lie in front of our dad. But it all came out because it, it does. It all came out. All of it because of envy. So what's the challenge today? The challenge is this week, would we take a good look inside of us? Would we allow the Holy Spirit to move inside of us and show us, is there some envy in our heart towards some individual or in some, because of some situation somebody else has that we don't have? Is there envy? And if there is, to let God drive a stake through it and to help us come to a place of the eradication of envy in our life. So how do we do it? Well, here's the truth. The solution for envy is contentment. It's contentment. This is how you, you, you put it to death, is by contentment. First, uh, first Timothy chapter six, verse six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The key to peace and the happiness in your life is to replace the envy with contentment in your life. Philippians chapter four, verse 11, Paul is also speaking in this passage. He says, not that I speak for, for want, for I have learned, circle the word learned, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. What is Paul saying? Contentment is not natural. It is not normal. You're not just going to accidentally be contented. You can only be contented on purpose. You have to learn to be. You have to go through times in which, okay, I'm learning now. I am not gonna do what is normal, the envy. I'm, going to, I'm going to do what is supernatural, what is abnormal. I'm going to learn how to be contented in my life. I learned to be contented. The word contentment means desiring no more than what a person already, I ought to insert the word already has, desiring no more than what I already have, to be satisfied. Now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, write, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, but if you're taking notes, write the word balanced in there because I'm trying, I wanna present all of this issue in a balanced way. Because there is a balance. So here we go. God does not mean 
that to be contented, that we are simply to accept the status quo. We aren't to simply accept injustice. We aren't to be satisfied with sin or failure. We're not to be satisfied with what we know and how far we've grown. It is right to strive to improve, to learn, to grow, to develop. It is right to correct wrongs. So there are some things we are never to be contented about. But God has called us to be contented. So what does it mean? Well, there's two key ideas that God does want us to be contented about. And even those ideas have balance. So stay, stay with me. The first is that we are to be contented with God's leadership in our lives. With God's leadership in our lives. God's got a plan for all of us. He's got a plan for you that is unique. There is overlap for all of us, but there are uniquenesses about his plan for all of us. And he's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. And included in God's plan for your and my life are open doors and closed doors. I'm not going to make the same mistake I made a few years ago when in one of our services, I was talking about the same thing, open doors and closed doors. And I asked what was meant to be a rhetorical question. What do we do when we face an open door? But a little boy in the service yelled out, we kick them down. So, Okay, that really threw me off my game then because I wasn't ready for that. I, okay, how do I deal with that? That was not the direction I was actually headed. So it, I, had, it, I had to work on it a little bit to get myself back and get the crowd back. So I'm not asking the rhetorical question about <laughs> what do we do with closed doors. I'm not asking that question. I'm gonna actually just say this. <clears throat> we have sometimes closed doors and there are ways we should deal with them. By closed doors, I'm not meeting obstacles. We all face obstacles all the time and we gotta get around them, over top them, underneath them. But, but what about these obstacles that no matter what we do, we cannot get on the other side of that obstacle legally or morally we cannot get on the other side of the obstacle now what do we do and that's a rhetorical question by the way so there's two things that we are to do first the bible says we are to pray that closed doors are opened this is matthew chapter 7 verse 7 that god opens closed doors and we're to pray that he will do that. And oftentimes he will. We face something. We cannot moral. We cannot legally change the outcome. But maybe through prayer, God intends for us to believe him and it produces a miracle in our lives. And he opens the door. But second of all, we are to realize that when even in prayer, God doesn't open the door, that closed doors are intended oftentimes to protect us that we cannot see around the corner, but God is already around the corner and he can see it and he is protecting us. So let me give you a, a life illustration. Several years ago, I was being recruited by a notable church to become its pastor, its lead pastor. And they were coming, he came several times and seen the church, my church. We had all these conversations and the truth is, I didn't actually want to move to that place, but 
it was flattering that they were talking to me and, and I didn't know what the will of God was. Sometimes he will lead us to go somewhere we don't actually want to go necessarily, but we should. And so we were having these conversations and then they, they informed me that now they were down to two people, me and, the, uh, and another guy. And then a couple weeks later, they shared with me, they had selected the other guy. And I was disappointed at first and it was total ego I was disappointed. I didn't actually want to live there. So then I, you know, I thought about that and said, this is ridiculous. And I love my church. And I, so, um, it, I was disappointed for just a very short time. And then we were off. Well, about two years later, I was in this conference and the other guy that was selected was at the conference. He came up to me and he said, Mark, I know you know that um, for the church I'm at that it came down to two guys, you and me, and they selected me. And I thought, well, this conversation is starting odd. Uh, but yeah, I said, I know. And I said, congratulations to you for your great thing. And so I didn't know where it was going, but then his next statement was, but I, I want to tell you how it's worked out. I'm totally miserable. I am completely miserable in this church. He said, they had made all these promises to me. They didn't keep any of them. It was so much bait and switch. And he said, I'm there. And honestly, I am just miserable. And he said, I'm just coming up and talking to you because I wanted to tell you, you won. That's what he said. You, you won and you ought to get down on your knees every day and thank God. <laughs> so I have, I, not every day for a few times I got down on my knees, thank you God for, so he said, well, if, he, if God was protecting you from that church, why didn't he protect the other guy? Because let me tell you, there are times in which God opens doors for us to go through hard times because there are things to be learned in the hard times. I've gone through hard times, but I'm really thankful that I didn't have to go live in that place to go through it. So, yay God. I'm just saying, isn't this true about all of us in our lives that we go through open doors and closed doors and sometimes the closed doors are to protect us. And what God is just saying to us is that I, I want you to to, to be satisfied with my leadership in your life. Second of all, we're to be contented with God's provision in our life. Uh, on the one hand, it is a good thing to push to get better, to grow in your profession, to increase your income. It's a good thing. It's called initiative. It's an important thing to grow professionally. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are is another thing that God is wanting to have happen in our life, even while we're growing and even now, while we're growing in our profession. He is wanting us to be willing to be grateful for what we already have right now. Even if it, one day we're, okay, we get, we, we get that promotion, we get the raise. Well, yay, and now I am finally happy for a few months and now I need another raise and I need another promotion. And do you, do you see what I'm saying? If we can be content with where we are right now, we're still trying to grow. And then when the promotion comes, the raise comes, we'll be content then too. 
And then when other things happen, we'll be content with them too. God is just saying, I want you to learn how to be content with what you have right now. Envy accuses God of wrongfully giving others what he should have given you. God, what is wrong with you? I should have gotten that instead of somebody else. But God is wanting us to be contented with whatever he chooses to bless us with and then to live within our means. Because in all of that environment, God is teaching us, he's growing us, he's deepening us, and it'll come back to help you over the rest of your life. First Timothy chapter six, verse six to eight, then says godliness with contentment is great gain. You, you, you got, there, there's a guy who's very rich and you're not rich, but if you are godly and you are contented, you are as rich or richer than that person. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not thinking that, but in actuality, when all the smoke will be cleared in your life, you will have been. You don't know what that person is going through that's got all that money. You don't know. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. God just wants you to trust him that he will give you what you need when you need it. And this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter seven, chapter six, verses 31 to 33, when he says, don't worry. Uh, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to be clothed? Don't, don't do that. All the pagans do that. People don't know anything about God, don't care anything about God. That's what they worry about. But you shouldn't be worried about the same. You have a father in heaven who knows your needs. So put your emphasis of your life on righteousness, on the kingdom of God and living in right ways and your father will meet your needs. He'll give you all these things that you need. This is what it means to live a life with contentment. So how do we build contentment in our life? Well, here we go. How do we develop this contentment? Well, first of all, we stop comparing ourselves to others. And this is the whole idea of the social media issue. We stop comparing ourselves to others. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says we, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves. It's not wise. It won't turn out well. Second of all, to be willing to live on what God has already given you. Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. God is saying, you know what? Sometimes you just need to be a vegetarian <laughs> and love your kids. You, you, you get vegetables are so much cheaper and just be a vegetarian and have time with your children and raise your family. Oh no, oh no God, I want an ox in my garage. I want two oxes in my garage and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna put all these hours in. I'm gonna make all this money. I'm gonna get all the stuff that my neighbors have. I'm gonna get all the stuff everybody says. This is how you know you're successful. I'm gonna get it all. And, well, I can't let the kids get in my way. than a fattened ox and hatred with it. 
Number three, decide that you are at peace for others to have more than you. And maybe this is uh, gonna take a while, but I'm at peace. Other people have more than I do. God, I have finally arrived at a place that I am at peace. That somebody, and you got somebody in your mind right now as I'm talking, I am at peace that that person has more than I do. Number four, decide you're willing for others to succeed beyond you. I am willing to, God, for you to promote that person. And you guys probably got somebody in your mind right now. Fifth, give to others in need. This is the fifth way that you deal with this. Why? Because giving of the money that we have, giving some of that money to help somebody else is what puts a stake in the heart of envy. See, I'm even further from my goal of the fatted ox. I am putting a stake in the heart of envy by giving. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 to 19. Tell those who are rich and stop for a moment, it's all of us. No, there's always gonna be people that got more than us. Always people that got more than us. I'm gonna tell you, there's a ton of people all over the world that got tons less than every single one of us. And people that are around us have so much less than we have. We are all rich. Tell those who are rich not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good, to give happily, not grudgingly, to give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. So invest in eternity. Here's the last one. Focus on loving the person you are tempted to envy. Pray for them. And I'm not talking about praying for fire to come down from heaven. Not talking that kind of prayer. I'm saying pray for them. Pray for God's blessing in their life. Pray for God to take care of them. Pray that their life be well. Pray, pray for their success. Celebrate their success. <laughs> and say, oh, good grief. You gotta be kidding me. Do you realize I can't, you can't naturally do this. You can only supernaturally do this. And that's what agape love is about. And that's the challenge to open up our hearts to agape love and say, God, I want you to do that in my life. I wanna learn how to love in a higher way, in a deeper way, however direction you go. I wanna learn love to love in a whole nother way. I wanna learn love from you, agape love that is selfless, that is unconditional. So I'm asking everyone that are, that are watching online right now. Maybe you don't know a lot about God, or maybe you know a ton about God, and you're, you're joining us online, and we're so grateful that you are. Wherever you are in the world, we're so grateful. And I'm asking you, though, have you come to know Christ as Savior? And if you haven't come to give your heart to Christ, I'm asking, would you open your heart to this?
Would you open your heart to receiving this great God through his son that he sent to the earth's earth and died uh, uh, on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine, rose again from the grave, and now offers to you the gift of eternal life. And would you open your heart? Oh, I want God in my life. I, I want to give my heart to Christ. For everyone that is watching online and, and you say, well, I already know Jesus is my Savior. And every person that is watching in person, I know Christ is my Savior. But man, I, I'm not here. I'm not at this place. But I want to be. I want to take the next step in maturing, growing in my Christian faith. I want to take the next step. Help me, God, help me to take this next step. Then I'm, I'm going to pray for all of us that we do. And when I finish praying, I want to encourage you, go to the Next Step Center and, and talk to one of our ministers about how you can take that next step. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and I pray, Father, for all of us, everyone that is in person, everyone that is online, that this would be the moment of salvation, that there would be many who would say, I need Jesus as my Savior. Good grief, if I'm going to live this kind of life, I can't do this on my own. I can't live this way, but I want this. There is something inside of me that is drawing me to God to live a supernatural life that would take God to live it. And I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. And I pray, Father, you'd move in hearts to make that decision. And for those that are listening that already know Jesus as Savior, and here we are on the journey, that we would take this next step of agape love and learn to live on a higher plane than we ever dreamed. Oh God, may we do it. And in the process, use our life to touch the lives of others, to Point them not to us, but to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.